0: Okay. All right. Well, everybody uh welcome so much uh I have uh, Jody Reed here Master Sergeant. Um you probably know him from his YouTube channel Jody with a Y. nearing what 38,000 subscribers, 10 million views. Um he's just absolutely crushing yes, it on uh on YouTube. So Jody, I appreciate you being here. Uh maybe you can just start off with uh who you are, what you're doing, why you decided to enlist in the Air Force.
1: So, uh Jody, uh yeah, Jody with a Y. um I, I joined, uh, the air force back in 2006. Um, really, I kind of made a story. Um, one of my videos on YouTube, how, um, I was in just a a tough spot. Uh, I had a father who was in the army for 22 years, who since I was a child had always tried to encourage me to join the military. It's just something I never wanted to do. Um, I always saw myself doing something different, but you know, as life kind of just smacked me in the face, um, and, and, and some of the choices i made in life, um, my, I kind of was trying to make a choice and I didn't know which way to go. So I, t- I talked to my dad, uh, he highly recommended the air force, um, found the recruiter who, you know, w- went above and beyond to get me into the air force. And, um, 17 years later, uh, it's been one of the best choices of my life.
0: That's awesome. And so, so why did you decide to join the air force specifically?
1: Um, it's, as far as the branches go, my dad told. <laughs> this sounds bad, but my dad told me, "Don't join any of the other branches. Uh, join the Air Force. Um, <laughs> start there. And um, and if you can't join the Air Force, then start looking at the other ones." And this is me being somebody who had no, uh, I guess, experience or any knowledge on the on the military. Even though my dad did twenty two years, it was never something I asked him about um, when he said you know you start with the air force i just took his word for it and um and and that's how i did it um but as far as you know my my choice um of of why i went to the the military i guess it's just i needed something um i needed more discipline um i was a man yeah. i was i was a wild child um and i was making a lot of bad choices and I knew that if I stayed in the environment where I was, I wasn't going to clean up the choices that I made. Um, so I just needed something yeah. to get away and, and p- put some discipline into my life. So that was my biggest reason.
0: Wow. that's uh, So whenever you enlisted in the Air Force, what what uh, AFSC did you go into?
1: So um, my original AFSC, I was a 2A6X6. So it's an electrical and environmental system specialist. I was basically basically an electrician on aircraft. I got stationed um, out in Herbertfield, Florida, and I was working on the AC-130U when we had the AC-130U as an electrician.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So wh- where have you been stationed at?
1: So I, after, after 17 years, I haven't been stationed in that many places. You talk to some people who've been in for 10 years and they, they've probably been more places than I have, but um, I started out in Herberfield, Florida. Uh, for six years, I, I worked as an electrician out there. I then cross-trained into uh, imagery analysis. I, I became an imagery analyst out in Langley, Virginia. And then I stayed there for about three and a half years, almost four years. And then I cross-trained mm-hmm. again into recruiting. And my recruiting tour was in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I did that for about three years. And then I became a recruiting instructor. It got me to um, where I'm at right now in in Lackland, uh, San Antonio.
0: So, um, what what made you want to go into recruiting?
1: Um, when I went into the recruiting's office, recruiters office originally like, like when I joined, I asked the recruiter like, "How do I do your job?" And he's like, oh, "Man, you got a long way to go before you could do my job." So <laughs> I was like, "I really want to do your job." Uh, it's just something that I always saw myself doing. I'm a, I'm a people person. Um, so I just, I just felt like recruiting would be the perfect job for me, um, to try to help people, um, get them, give them something, um, like I got from the Air Force. But it wasn't until I got into recruiting that I realized, um, how much, how hard my recruiter had worked for me, um, just because yeah. of, you know, the type of kid that I was, um, in, in the background that I had. Uh, I didn't realize at the time how far or how above and beyond my recruiter was going for me. And then I became a recruiter and I started meeting kids with the same similar type of background as me. And I'm like, this is going to be really hard to get you in. (laughs) And I was like, well, why did my recruiter do it? You know, (laughs) you know, you start thinking that like I, I didn't have any. I don't feel like we had a personal relationship. I don't feel like, you know, I did anything for him to make him go out of his way. I was, I was recruited out of Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas is not a bad place for recruiters, you know. So it wasn't like there was a lack of demand. So it just blows my mind that my recruiter went out of his way to, to, to help me get in the Air Force. But I just took that. And when I was in Cedar Rapids, I tried to give back as much as possible, um, to as many people as I could when I was out there as a recruiter.
0: Wow. So the, <clears throat> I mirrored a, a recruiter one time because I was thinking about, uh, going into recruiting on the reserve side when I went reserve. Um, mm-hmm. And I was really surprised on how much paperwork is required to bring someone in. Um, and then on top of that, if someone is not clean, right? And they, they don't need waivers right. or anything else. It, it's it's like probably exponentially more. So what, what are some of the, the more common disqualifiers for people coming in?
1: So... I, the biggest disqualifiers right off bat. Um, one is going to be weight. Uh, the thing about weight, though, is you can lose weight. So that one doesn't really yeah. permanently disqualify somebody. But that is probably one of the biggest disqualifiers that we see. Um, and then as far as things that are a little bit harder to get cleared or get get approved would be like history of medical conditions. So th- some of the biggest medical conditions we see ADHD, um, anxiety, depression asthma those things those are man that's when you, when you when you start talking about a lot of paperwork yeah. that's where it's coming from uh those things and then after the medical stuff you have people with um, met, um criminal background uh we call them morals moral offenses uh and then those are pretty pretty tough to get cleared as well um depending on the level the severity of the of the actual offense committed um but That's what you see most commonly, medical, some morals, I guess a lot of morals, but more so medical and then weight is what we see most commonly.
0: Yeah, I read an article, um, and I think it was even a TEDx talk, uh, like probably eight, nine years ago, as a general that that was talking about um, the, the amount of the American population that's ineligible to enlist. Um, and even this yes. this article is more recently just written, but probably three or four months ago, it said like seventy one percent of um, of Americans are ineligible to to actually enlist in the right. military, and they call it you know a, a a security issue, right? So it's so it's interesting to to hear. So it is. Do you see that stat uh, kind of lining up with with um, people who are trying to enlist in the Air Force?
1: Man, right now, just across the DOD, not just Air Force, but the entire DOD is just struggling to recruit. Um, mm. There's a lot of different reasons. It's going to be hard to just pinpoint. Um, yeah, yeah. You know the exact reason, but the propensity um, of people who are eligible to serve—that is—that is definitely adding to the equation. Uh, we're just in a mm. time where it's people are disqualified. You know, it's so like when we were growing up. If you had a medical condition, you know, it's just like get over it. Uh yes, you're going to exactly. be all right. At least that's how my household was. You're going to be okay, but now, you know, you can you have so much access to to to, you know, um healthcare. So people are just yeah, getting diagnosed more with all kinds of well, right? Of, right. People can go online and and read a, a symptom that they have and like, you know what? I think I got that. Go to the doctor and get diagnosed with something like that. So just people are more knowledgeable of the actual sicknesses and they're able to go get their sicknesses treated. Not to say that they weren't there in the past, just people (laughs) didn't have access to, to go get diagnosis stuff. at least that's um, how, how I'm, how I was seeing it from the way I was brought up to people I was brought around uh, brought up around. Um, That's one of the biggest differences I noticed.
0: If someone has um, a concern uh, say medically or, uh, or, criminally, if they have something on the record, is this something that they should call a recruiter to talk about? I know recruiters aren't experts in all medical, like that's all done at MEPS to get processed and through. So what should they do to kind of help pre-screen before they even come in?
1: So you can always reach out to the recruiter. One thing to remember is the recruiter is not the doctor, but these recruiters, they've seen a lot of different scenarios. So they've seen, you know, the most common um, disqualifications for medical stuff. So they kind of know how to how to help these applicants get uh, qualified, get themselves qualified, all the necessary things they need to do. But at the end of the day, it's going to fall on the chief medical officer at Meps, and it's also yeah. going to fall on maybe the surgeon general of whatever um, branch they're trying to join to get that quali- to get approved, um, get qualified. Um, but I would definitely recommend to reach out to a recruiter if you know, you know, you have some medical background that could potentially disqualify you just reach out to them see what they think and and try to get a game plan on how to how to make it work
0: yeah so i um, one of the many questions that i get i'm sure you probably get it on your channel as well is um this is my scenario do you think i'm eligible for it right um and right. and i think there's a disconnect <clears throat> excuse me i think there's a disconnect um thinking that recruiters are the medical people, like they're the ones that are making the decision on the go or no go, but there's a whole systems and process in place for this um, at MEPS and even recruiting squadron wise, right? Um, on, right. on leadership, making that that decision stuff. So, so I think that was probably the, the whole point is to try and like, there's a whole process in this. Um, a lot of people, I think recruiters sometimes get a bad rap in that um, thinking they're the ones that right. have to deliver the news more than likely. Um, but don't shoot the messenger,
1: so to speak. And, and something else to remember the recruiter, as far as like a morals waiver, like if you had a criminal background, the recruiter can do a lot to help. But as far as medical, like our opinion, our, our word doesn't, doesn't go far in the medical process. So all we can do is get your medical records and send them up and hope we cross our fingers and we just hope that it comes back clean. But that, that medical process is beyond us. There's there's nothing yeah. the recruiter can do with their professional opinion or advice that can help an applicant get qualified. It's, it, it, it's beyond them.
0: Hey, let's take a quick break. If you are all about the Air Force, then be sure to check out the newly launched Forever Wingman YouTube channel, where we have all of these podcasts, but with our beautiful faces. Also, if you are researching the Air Force career fields, then be sure to check out foreverwingman.com. There you'll find the most comprehensive data on all of the AFSCs on the entire interwebs, not flexing at all. Lastly, if you are in the Air Force or have recently separated and want to share your story to help the next generation airmen, then reach out to me at foreverwingman.com slash interview. That's foreverwingman.com slash interview. Okay, back to the show. Okay, so someone has decided they've ran through some initial pre-screening and they think that they're eligible to enlist in the air force. Um, what, uh, what, what could someone do to prepare before they even walk in the door, uh, to talk to a recruiter?
1: So like a dream applicant for a recruiter would be someone who was, did their research, right? Like they know what to expect from the process. They know the questions that they want to get answered when they go into the recruiter's office and they also have like a sense of urgency so a way to show that sense of urgency would be to go into a recruiter's office with all the required documents that you're going to need so um driver's license high school diploma social security card birth certificate um those are four things that you can bring in to a recruiter's office along with your questions that will show a recruiter like oh this person is is ready to go they're they're taking it serious um but also, just understand the process. Understand where the recruiter is in the recruiting process. Understand the job process. And then also make sure that you're physically, you're getting yourself physically prepared so that when it's time to go to basic training, um, you're not hurting yourself. Um, because that is one of the big, that's another issue that recruiting is having is that people are going to basic training they 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 got the recruiting process taken care of, but when they get to basic training they didn't they didn't prepare for that, so now mm. we got them in, but we lose them in basic training, so it just puts more work on the recruiters because now you have to fill this person who couldn't make it through basic training because of um injuries or they weren't physically fit enough to to make it through
0: uh interesting so can you can you explain a little bit more on that process if uh, someone doesn't make it through basic training? I thought that it was like if they didn't make it through depth, then then it's up to the recruiter to fill that spot um, through their, their, uh, their list of eligibles. Um, but so if someone actually goes um, basic training as well.
1: Yeah. So you could fall out during the debt process. Um, but you don't normally fall out through the debt process because of your physical limitations, unless you're like overweight. If you're, if you're not making the height and weight requirements, then yeah, you can fall out of the debt program, but you have people who are within their height and weight requirements. But as far as the physical, um, Um, PT requirements, when they go to basic training, they can't meet those. And so when they go to basic training and working out three, four times a week and their body isn't used to it. So now they start getting injuries, um, and they just can't make it through. And now, because they couldn't make it through with the, with the physical standards, they'll send them home. Um, and now you have the attrition, um, at basic training that the recruiters need to fix because they're sending people who weren't physically prepared. Okay.
0: So on the waiver process, I know a lot of um, uh, people who are enlisting in the Air Force, uh, if they're getting advice from people uh, who were in the Air Force or are currently in the Air Force, they'll say everything is waiverable. Um, what, what, what does the waiver process actually look like?
1: So. Kind of. Kind there, of. No, no, there's just some things that aren't going to be waiverable, but a lot of things are. But it yeah. really depends on the recruiter and the relationship they have with the applicant, okay. so like a uh, someone like me, because you know of my background and, and and me realizing how far my recruiter went out of his way to get me into the air force, I took it um it was i was, was passionate about helping people in my situation most people you know they have their own the, the thing about being a recruiter, you are the the hiring professional right so um although um, you know, the applicant may may disclose that they're really interested in joining the recruiter at the end of the day is the one who's who's hiring. So if there's something that they don't agree with or something they don't drive with with the applicant, you know, based off of their own, you know, personal decisions or personal opinions, it could it could halt somebody's process. And in the regulations, are totally in line with that. It says that, you know, mm-hmm. there's a there's like a blurp in the regulation to say it's at the recruiter's discretion to to work a waiver or not. So you, when you have something great like that, it, it allows a lot of room for gray with these recruiters and yeah, and how they make their decisions on which waivers they're going to approve or which ones they aren't. Um, so, yes, every not not everything can be waiverable, but a lot can be waiverable. But it doesn't mean <laughs> that you're going to get the waiver.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. So I highly recommend a book. Um, I don't know if you've read it or not. It's called uh, "When Friends Influence People" by Dale Carnegie.
1: Um, I say It's, it's a when, uh, when friends. What was the Influence book again? People. I I think I've read. I'm not sure. I, if it sounds familiar. Okay.
0: So highly, highly recommend it. Um, it's just about how we interact with people, right? Um, mm-hmm. And 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 how you present yourself and project yourself. And And I think that that's a key point in what you said is that the recruiters are the hiring like it, this is an interview. Um, so right. the way that you present yourself, um you know showing up in in sweats and in flip-flops, um hair undone and and unshaven and everything, like like that that sends a message, regardless whether you like that or not. Um, it sends a message so right so and, I think that and, if you if you project yourself in a professional manner, then I think you'll you'll put yourself in a better position, we
1: think. You know what's crazy as in my time as a recruiter so many so many applicants showed up rolling out of bed you know like that's the kind of energy they gave to the recruiting office like you wouldn't do that anywhere else like if you were going no. for a job, you would not roll out of bed and go present give McDonald's yourself more respect. To, to the hiring official, but they do it to recruiters um and so when the recruiters see you come in the office, you know unintentionally or not subconsciously or not. They're sizing you up. And when you come in and you have that story, you know, I had this happen. I had this happen. They're they're deciding, you know, with their limited amount of time that they have because their schedule's so busy. Do I give it to you? Do I give any of my time to you? And if you look like you rolled out of bed, you know, that that weighs in the equation if they're going to do that waiver. So something to consider. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so someone walked in, uh they're eligible. What are the next steps? Do they go to MEPS at that point or do they do any kind of pre-ASVAB tests?
1: So, they definitely going to want to do uh some type of pre-ASVAB. Um the recruiters, they can do a PICAT, which they allow them to take an ASVAB at home. Um, it's those scores can stick, but they have to go to MEPS and they have to take a verification test to ensure uh, no one cheated or anything was going on when they took that test at home. So they got They got to keep that in mind. If you take a PI cat, you know, you will have to take a verification test at MEPS. Um, they also have um, what do they call it. APT. I think that's the pr- another practice test. That's just the practice test. It doesn't stick. It just kind of gives a recruiter an idea of how you will score on the ASVAB. The recruiters want to have these practice tests so they know, should I send you to MEPS? cause they don't want to send you to maps if you're going to go down there and, and, and have a failing score. So they just yeah. kind of want to get a gauge with the practice test before they send you. And then once they get the, the practice tests uh, they're also going to have to do a lot of paperwork. There's going to be a lot of forms that need to be signed in order for you to get a, a, a date at maps. So once the ASVAB is done, once the, or once the practice ASVAB is done, once all the forms are done to get you to maps and the medical process is clear, cause you got to get cleared to go to maps as well. Then they'll send you to MEPs, take the real ASVAB, take a physical. It's just it's just like a sports physical. They're going to look your body over, and make sure everything's ready to go. And then once you complete the MEPs process, the recruiter is expecting you to swear into the delayed entry program. And, and that's for active duty. If this is with, with reserve or if this was with the Air National Guard, they're expecting you to come back and swear into their component. Um, so a lot of people mm. think they're going to go to maps and just figure things out, see how, see how the cards land. Um, but I always tell them, Hey, when you go to maps, this, this is game on. Like they're, they, they're trying yeah. to make this official. Um, so you're going to swear into the delayed entry program if you're active duty, and then you're going to come back, um, and just wait for active duty. You're going to wait for a job opportunity to present itself, um, while you're waiting in a depth and with active duty, um, I'm sorry, with Air National Guard and with Air Force Reserve, you're going to get a job with your recruiter when you come back and then actually swear into the Air Force Reserve or, or swear into the Air National Guard.
0: What does the timeline look like for?
1: How oh, um, make that confusing?
0: No, 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 no. I don't think so. Um, so, <laughs> OK, yeah, the delay. So we we can plant a flag in the delayed enlistment program for, for just one second. And you could probably go into a little bit more detail on what that might actually look like. Um, what does it look okay. like before you actually go to Meps? What's the timeline uh, typically look like? I know it's probably going to be dependent on right now, studying for ASVAB and everything else.
1: So, if your ASVAB is ready to go, um, if you go in, you have a good practice ASVAB. Um, it's really going to come down to two things: how 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 much availability the Meps has, and and how much and how busy your recruiter is. And it's also going to come down to your medical background. There's a there's a system out there now called Genesis uh, and Genesis is basically pulling people's medical record. So the MEPs is able to see, you know, people's medical records. So back in the day, uh, I'll be honest with you, um, people would come into the military and they would uh, they wouldn't disclose certain medical information to their recruiters. And there's really no way for the recruiter to know. But now yeah. th- that's not happening anymore. People aren't able to hide medical background or medical conditions as they once were before. So met- the system called Genesis is finding everything and it's delaying people's process. So if there's anything medically um, in your background that could delay your process maybe one, two, three months, um, maybe four months, just depending on you know what the medical conditions are. And that yeah. is what is causing that um, that delay from meeting a recruiter to getting to MEPS. So it's, okay. it's tough, it. man. I, I would say, you know, back in the day, you know, it's probably like a month, maybe two weeks from meeting a recruiter to MEPS. But now you're probably looking at two to four month timelines.
0: So, what is what does the Meps actually uh, look like the environment? Because I was always so I processed through Meps uh, in active duty, and then I had to go through it um, when I went through the uh, through the Reserve. Um, and it's, it's always a little bit of a shock uh, on on the environment and what is what it may what it actually looks like. Um, can you explain just kind of what what people could expect as they when they first walk in the door in Meps?
1: So. It depends on the maps. Um, the one in Cedar Rapids, there was this lady at when you walked in. She was a mean little lady. Uh, she wanted to set the <laughs> tone, re- like right off bat, like so she's she's almost yelling. So I, I want people to know that, like you could walk into a maps and there may be somebody with a with a loud tone or a hard tone yelling at you just to kind of set the tone for you, so you know how the so you so so you know how the day is gonna go. They don't want anybody. You know, um, not paying attention or having to tell the directions too too many times. So that that may happen. Um, But then afterwards, it's just kind of like hurry up and wait. Um, You're going to have a depending on, you know, the the, I guess the day it could be a lot of people there and they're trying to get everybody through. uh, And they're doing it one by one, you know, because of um, personal information, they can't have everybody. Going through certain parts at the same time. So, you know, they'll tell you, hey, go get your eyes checked and go sit and wait and we'll call you when it's time for your ears. Uh, you get your ears checked, go sit and wait. We'll call you when it's time for your blood to be drawn, you know, so there's a lot of hurry up and wait. Um, and they don't allow you to have your phone. Some I heard some MEPs are allowing phones now. I'm not sure. Um, but you're not supposed to have your phone. So you're just kind of sitting in this lobby, just waiting um, to to finish the process. So. It's not a, it's not a fun day. Uh, I would say that, but it is, it is a necessary day that people have to go through.
0: <laughs> no. Can they, can they, um, do the ASVAB test and the medical and everything in one day or is that typically split up into to two days?
1: So they can, um, it's called a same day where they uh, they schedule you to take the ASVAB in the uh, physical all in the same day. A lot of recruiters don't like that. Um, and in and, and, And the MEPS liaisons don't really like it either. It's a lot of work to get somebody uh, ASVAB and physical in the same day. So they would prefer uh, to do it um, what they call a one stop, where you're ASVAB the day before and then you're physical the next day. It's a lot less workload on the MEPS personnel. Um, So yes, you can do it, but it's not the most common way of scheduling someone.
0: Okay, gotcha. Hey, Jody, I'm going to just take a quick break right here. Um, how's your video okay. going right now? What do you mean? Um, so I got you frozen. Do you have me? Okay.
1: I got you. Yeah, everything was good on my end.
0: Okay, got it. Um, so just uh, I forgot to tell you at the beginning of the recording um, that if for whatever reason we do lose video, if we can still hear each other, then everything is good to go. Um but okay. I, on this side I it looks like I lost video on your side. Um so no worries, we'll just keep on going with
1: it. I'm going to change um my Wi-Fi to the uh, line check line check the Can one you right, that, Yeah, yeah, I'm changing my Wi-Fi to my extender. I was okay. I was I wasn't on my extension of of Wi-Fi, so hopefully that I think yours is that a Pretty
0: good. Um, only because I see the amount of video that's already uploaded is 99%. So it's actually uploading as you're going, okay, there's the video it's back now. Okay. Um, and so more than likely it's on my side, uh, out here in Marshall islands, we have like five megabits per second. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's basically dial up. So it's, it's I can almost <laughs> assume it's mine, my side, but I just want to make sure that everything was good on your side too. Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay. So running through, um. MEPS after you get done with MEPS, what 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 happens after that? Do they start building their jobs list or do they actually do that before they even go to MEPS?
1: So most recruiters are going to make sure you kind of have an idea of what jobs you want to do before you get there. Uh, the last thing they want to do is send you down to the job liaison or the MEPS liaison. Those terms are interchangeable, it's the same person. Um last thing they want to do is send you down there and you have no idea what you want to do because it's going to slow down the MEPS process. So they kind of want you to come prepared, um, do some research. Um, I always told people to use your website to do their research, Um, but get their research done. And then at the end, after everything is done, your ASVAB after your physical, you're going to start listing jobs with the uh, job lays on. If you're doing a guard process or if you're doing a reserve process, your process stops at the end of the physical and you're gonna come back to your recruiter and do the job process with them um, okay. after you're after you're done
0: okay um, so they build their list um, any pro tips on actually
1: building the list itself? I say talk to the recruiter and see what's see what the demand where the demand is okay um, we get so many people who say, you know I'm gonna join the Air Force, I love it everything about it. And I'm going to be in the medical field. I'm going to be a firefighter or I'm going to be a loadmaster, area refueler. You know, the jobs that everybody wants to do, right? The high demand jobs, low supply. And then when you tell them like, hey, we don't have those jobs. Now they're upset. You know, now they're like, well, I don't want to join anymore. So I would say if you're joining for a job, then I just I don't think the the Air Force or the military is a place to join for a specific job. It's more than a job. Um, It's a career. Uh, most of the people are joining for a reason like me. I, I need a discipline in my life. Yeah. Um, you have people who need education or you have people who just need to get away from their current situation. The job is the is the cherry on top you know i always say join for whatever that big reason of why you even thought the military originally nobody thinks the military for a job yeah. it's something usually bigger than that so don't let the job hold you up and and talk with your recruiter about what jobs are in demand um and if you start booking if you start creating a list off of those jobs then you're not going to have a problem getting a a job in the in while you're waiting but if you're trying to list all the jobs that we don't have, you're going to be waiting and you're probably yeah. going to be upset with your recruiter as well. So,
0: um, what, what are the typical number of jobs that, uh, their recruiting station requires recruits to, to put on their list?
1: My, my, so it varies from squadron to squadron. My squadron made people list seven to 10 jobs. Okay. That was the, that was, uh, the, what they told us. Hey, make sure your people are listing seven to 10 jobs in one aptitude area. So the aptitude area is basically like an open contract. Um, and we have four different ones. You have the administration, general, um, mechanical and electrical. Basically means if you list one of those aptitude areas, you're going to get a job within that field. Uh, me, I went to basic training with an electrical aptitude area. I ended up getting electrical and environmental specialists when i when I got to basic training um so my my squadron would say list seven to ten in one aptitude area. You have some squadrons to say you're gonna list fifteen jobs. I even heard some say you're gonna list as many as twenty. Wow, um so it just depends on on which squadron what location you're getting recruited from
0: okay on the job selection, I think there's a little bit of a mystery um on on how that process actually works like is there a benefit to go in uh, open aptitude um is there a benefit to having larger uh populated jobs which obviously equates to to more job openings and probably more likely to actually get something like that um it, are, are, how does the job selection typically work i know it probably varies from squadron to squadron um but on on average
1: so it's changed a bit since I was a recruiter. Um, back in the day, it used to be more people oriented. Basically, there were people who were looking at lists that, that applicants created and trying to match people to jobs. Um, from now, from what I understand, and I could be wrong, um, but from what I understand, most squadrons are going to more towards a, a system, it's it's basically there's a system it's looking at what what people listed what's available, and it's just matching people matching it's, them it, up. it's yeah. taking the people out of it so it's not you know there's there's no um i guess there's no preference some people are like, why didn't I get my number one job it was it was a system it wasn't a person who who did that it was a yeah. it was a system um that's my understanding of the job process now so if you list a job it's basically going to get put into a system and match you to what's available based off of your job list. Um, I could be wrong, like I said, but from what I'm hearing um, from recruiters out there, that seems to be the most common way of how the job process. Is, is there an
0: influence on um, when someone says they want to ship, say someone who might be in high school, they have to get through graduation, obviously, um, then they hit the summer time frame or someone who might be a little bit older, uh, finish a semester in college or something like that. Is there is that a factor into the decision process?
1: So it, yes. So they're looking at date of availability. Um, so the system is going to look at ASVAB. Uh, it's going to look at what you listed, um, date of availability, all of that. And, and if you say that you're ready to go now, then, you know, it's going to look at the jobs that are the soonest, um, I guess soonest leaving jobs. Yeah. So it's going to try to match you to something like that. Um, but if you have your date of availability six months out uh, the, the this you won't even be able to book a job because normally squadrons don't don't have jobs six months out. Um, they' usually within three to four month time time frames. okay. So if you have a date of availability date of availability six months out, you're probably not going to book a job until you get closer to that three to four month um, okay range
0: what what's the what's the advantage or what's the process look like for someone who goes open aptitude and them actually getting their job selection?
1: so if you go open and then um whatever whatever field that you went or whatever aptitude area you got selected for, you're gonna to go to basic training and they're gonna to present to you a list of jobs within that aptitude area. so if you have if you went uh, a mechanical aptitude. You're going to get to basic training. You're going to see whatever mechanical jobs they have available at that time. The thing about it is they don't always have every mechanical job available. So you never, and it's week to week that, that, that job pool changes week to week in basic training. So you may hear somebody who went the week before you, they say that they saw jet engine mechanic. They saw a bunch of crew chief jobs. Um, and then when you go, you see like hydraulic or you see, um, you know, something else. So you you never know um, what's going to be available, but they'll present to you a list. And then you basically rank what you would like to do, um, just like you would if you went when you did your original job process with your recruiter, you're going to list these jobs, rank them from one to whatever. And then a system is going to give you your job in basic training. And I think fifth week is when you find out uh, what job you got. And, and then you go to tech school for that job when you when you graduate basic training.
0: Okay. So I had heard um, from a couple other recruiters, I haven't been able to, uh, to validate this or not, and, and you may or may not be able to validate, but they'd, they'd said that, the, that there's an advantage of going open. Um, that when, when job availabilities come, that first it's uh, people who are being reclassed or failed tech school and they need to find another job. Um, they get the the first selection of that list. Then it goes down to uh, people who are in basic training who've gone open. And then every, then the recruiting stations get allocated from that point on kind of a tier system. Is that kind of how you've seen it?
1: So it used to be that way. Um, okay. And I could be wrong. Um, like I've been out of the actual recruiting game since 2019. I try to stay up with the new changes. Um, but from what I've heard, when I was recruiting, yes, aptitude okay. areas were great because um, most of the jobs were at basic training. So yeah, the smaller the recruiters were more. Getting,
0: yeah, ones that people they were at desired, basic right, training. Affairs, yeah,
1: right. But now there, there's been a shift to where they're trying to give. Um, I guess, specific jobs to the, to the recruiters. Now, before it was like, we're going to give you a bunch of aptitude areas and we'll figure it out in basic training. But now they're like, you all figure it out at your level. Um, And so now the, the aptitude areas are more of jobs that are, um that are reclass. So, okay. so if somebody like um, failed out of their tech school, now that job needs to be, they still need to fill that job. And, I, and from what I from what I'm hearing, those are the jobs that you're seeing in the aptitude areas now. Not to say right. that it's a bad thing, um, but it's not the same way as it was when I was recruiting, at least from how I'm understanding. I could be wrong. I don't want to get in trouble for saying that, <laughs> but um, I believe that's how how it's working right now. Okay. Um, but like I said, I could be wrong.
0: So so for anyone that's listening um, Ask the recruiter uh, that question itself and and see if there's an advantage because it might kind of work into your strategy on on getting probably the the more desired jobs. If that's still in the play, if not, then then don't even factor that part in. Um, So it's right. I I think the
1: the recruiters are going to be the recruiters are more connected um, to the to the job processes and and stuff like that more than I am. um, You know, I I am I am a recruiting instructor, so I'm teaching them more how to recruit. The yeah. actual processes, the job processes and things like that. We don't we don't really. Um, that's something they're going to learn on the job um, we, when we we, t- we teach the basics, but they're going to get down into the weeds when they actually get out there. So they're going to be a little bit more experienced with all the changes and everything that's happening um, more than I am.
0: Gotcha. OK, so um, you've created your jobs list. Um, you've sworn into depth if you're active duty. Uh, what what exactly does does is DEP, and what does that look like?
1: So you're saying what what is the debt process like? What are you? Yeah, doing? Yeah. So
0: the delayed enlistment program. So what what is that? And then what what does that look like? Um, I assume that there's commanders' calls and stuff like that. And what is what's what's that look like?
1: So when you when you get into the debt, um, this can be anywhere from like one to twelve months. You know, just yeah. depending on your job list, depending on your availability, you could be sitting in the debt really quickly, or you could be hanging out for a while. Um, during that process. Uh, you want to get as familiar as possible with the with basic training. Just prepare yourself as much as possible. Try to make it easier on yourself when you get there. Um, basic training can be tough. So the more you prepare, uh, the easier it can be. So you're 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 definitely preparing for basic. You're also maintaining your standard. Um, but that's probably going to be the most important thing is to maintain who you were when you got sworn into the when you got sworn into the delay entry program. Don't change. So if you got sworn into the delayed entry program with one speeding ticket, then when you ship to basic training, have one speeding ticket. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Don't don't start (laughs) racking them up (laughs) while you're in the delayed entry program. Same thing with like weight, uh, medical conditions. Just be who you were when you went to MEPS Um, and also get physically prepared as well. Uh, That's that's where we're starting to lose applicants is they're not physically prepared. I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but definitely got to physically prepare yourself, um, to get ready for basic training. So when you get to basic training, we don't start running into, um, injuries that we could have prevented just yeah. by preparing, uh, while in the delayed entry program. So and, how often- uh, the air national guard, they, the air national guard, they call it the student flight. It's the equivalent to the delay entry program and the reserve they call theirs the development and training flight. It's, just, it's similar to the uh, delay entry program. So both all three, you're doing those things.
0: So is there, um, I think when I went through way back in 1999, um, the, we did like a commander's calls and stuff where we'd come in, they'd go over, teach us whether it be marching, we'd do obviously all the standards right. in and stuff. Um, and then, or memorization, that kind of stuff, rank recognition, mm-hmm. kind of review that stuff. Are they still kind of doing that in depth?
1: It depends on the recruiter. Um, if the recruiter wants to go over memory work with, with their, with their applicants, they can, um, a lot of recruiters got away from the marching and, and doing all the drill movements because they were sending people to basic training and the, and the kids are going there acting like they know something, but they were taught wrong. So no, it's a happens. lot of, you know, breaking them down, reteaching them that the TIs were having to do. So recruiters kind of got away from that. Um, but, you know, me, myself, when I did depth calls, uh, we would work out. We would have some type of workout. Um, we would also do like um, team building things. I would I would throw barbecues. We would we would go to places and kind of have a good time. It's yeah. also a time for me to get eyes on my on my debt members and making sure that nothing changed and making sure they still had the motivation to join um, the debt. Man, some people, they're super excited when they go to MEPs. You know, they, they're making a big choice. Uh, every all the feelings, and emotions are high. And then now they're waiting six months. Anything can happen, you know, to get a new girlfriend, new boyfriend, um, get a new job, anything can change. And so the depth time was my time to kind of look at my depth members and kind of see what the energy was like. And if there was anything I needed to do to get them remotivated as well.
0: Okay. Are there any ways that um, people can get a little bit more involved with uh, the recruiting squadron? Um, just to plug in a little bit more into that that Air Force life that they're joining
1: you say get, get plugged into the recruiting squadron. Yeah. Like it's volunteer like, um, or,
0: or just, uh, just learn a little bit more about the air force or talk to new recruits or anything like that. Is that kind of a thing or, or is it just pretty much come in, meet the standards and then participate in whatever function that might be happening and then kind of, we'll see you next month.
1: Yeah, it's kind of, it's going to be, you know, kind of on what the recruiter has for their delayed entry program. Um, I don't think I had too many opportunities for them to to get involved any okay. more than my delayed entry programs. Okay. Um, I did have a depth commander. Um, so basically, if I had a junior, right? If I was putting in a junior, um, basically they they were going into their senior year. I knew they were going to be in my depth for a long time, right? So I could make them a depth commander, and basically yeah. they had um responsibility of ensuring that everybody came to depth. Um, they may even Teach the new um, applicants or the new debt members what what to expect, what to do um, when we get there. Um, so I kind of gave that responsibility to somebody. Um, but as far as anything else getting involved, I don't think I had those opportunities for people. Um, trying to think.
0: This no not worries me because I, I I'm say- the type of person that like wants to get involved. Like if I have a new thing, right. like I I want to lean forward and do it. But also. I know that could probably recruiters times are extremely limited. Right. Um, So sometimes that can be even more of a burden than, than, than be helpful. Right. Yeah.
1: I think it would for, you know, you have a debt member who's constantly trying to be involved with the recruiter because the air force recruiters are a one man band. Um, Unlike some of the other branches, they have multiple recruiters doing, doing one, one job. The air force is just one person doing all of the jobs. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I love the, um, I guess the excitement of an, of an applicant who wants to do more, wants to learn more, but they could be, it could get a little bothersome to a yeah, recruiter yeah. when they still got to go to their schools. They still got to go out in the, in the, in the, um, community and do all their events. Um, they have all the appointments that they have to conduct. That could be a little bothersome. Um, if they have that, if they have that applicant, who's like, you know what can I do today to you know get better um i'm I'm not saying don't bother your recruiters because I want people to engage with their recruiters. Just know that the recruiters can be busy and you yeah. may not get the communication you want instantly um in a recruiter's schedule
0: so that's a, that's a really good segue into to the next question that's and I think it's a little bit difficult conversation to have um and that's what happens if someone is having a really difficult time with their recruiter because personality clashes that happens in the air force happens in the real world. Like humans are messy. Um, so right. if someone's having a, a difficult time with their recruiter, what, what options do they have? And there's a lot of questions that I get on, um, through email and through the Facebook group is, is can I leave my recruiter and go to someone else? I know there's probably second, third degree effects of doing that bad and good. Probably. Um, what, what advice would you give to someone that might be having some, some issues with the recruiter?
1: So it- It depends. Like if they're still in high school, um, they pretty much have to work with that recruiter uh, because that recruiter is responsible for their high school. And um, it will be considered um, what we call poaching. If 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 another recruiter was to work this recruiter's um, high schools. Got it. So if there's an issue with the recruiter and you're in high school, you got to figure that issue out. You can also get in touch with their flight chief. Um, you should meet the flight chief or you should at least get the flight chief's information when you originally, um, start working with your recruiter. Yeah. The flight chief is the boss of the recruiter. So you can always address, um, concerns up to the flight chief if you're not getting any traction with the actual recruiter. Um, and maybe the flight chief can figure out, you know, how we're going to do it. Are we going to, we're going to swap recruiters around or, or whatnot? But they'll have the final say in a situation like that. If you're not in high school, um, the Air Force has kind of started cracking down on poaching altogether. So even if you're not in high school and you're in, and, they, and they're, they find recruiters working um, applicants from other people's zones, because each yeah. recruiter gets a specific zone that they're working and they're supposed to stay within that zone. Once you start going outside of that zone, now you're poaching and starting to work other, um, other people's applicants. So the Air Force has, you know, kind of said like no poaching, um, yeah. But in a a situation like that where you're not getting attraction and you're not in high school, um, that's one of those, you know, gray areas. You can kind of search around, maybe find another recruiter. Just make sure you voice your your reason of why you're even um, why you're even reaching out to them when they're not responsible for your zone of recruiting. And then if there is any reason why they can't work you, they'll let you know and possibly figure out, you know, what you need to do with your current recruiter to to make the relationship better or or fix it or whatever the um, case may be
0: yeah so a a few things on that um i I, you're going to run into situations like that in your air force career right it's it's better to start Mm -hmm. early on how to actually work through the problem right and and i think we can when someone in some book that I read is said it's like 70% of all problems can be solved with just better communication, right? If we just yes. communicate and dialogue and have the tough conversations um, professionally, right, then I think we could solve a lot of problems. And that's probably what most of the issue is, uh, at least in some of the scenarios that I've heard uh, that people have explained to me. Is it sounds like it's just communication. Um, they said something that you don't necessarily agree with or you're not sure what the the regs say or whatever the case may be. Um, I think you mm-hmm. have a huge resource and through like someone like your YouTube channel, uh, you know, just doing the research. Um, I, I'm very, very hesitant to, to recommend Reddit only because, um, it, you can get a varying amount of answers, professional and unprofessional. Um, so, but you have, you have the internet at your disposal too. take that with a grain of sand. You have access to almost all the air force regulations, uh, if you need to, to do some research and just have a discussion about it. Not, a you're wrong type thing that the reg says this, um, like that's, that's the worst way to bring up something with someone is, is to throw the reg in their face. Um, he's going to get nothing but, um, but stoppage in, in communication in that. So I think, I think that people need to be able to work through it. And I would, I would not advise, um, just from a reputational standpoint, uh, people going out there and, and jumping from a recruiter, uh, to another one, because, like you said, this is an interview, right? Would you do that in, in a normal job interview? Would you jump around to a different <laughs> interviewer saying that, you know, you don't agree with the question yeah. that they asked you? <laughs> like, no, this is still an interview. Even even after you go into MEPS and and, and you're in depth and you're waiting for your shipment, right? It's, you're waiting you're you're still being interviewed. Um so so I I recommend I usually tell people that it just comes down to communication. Just just have the tough conversations. Um, And I don't think there's anything wrong with just calling a recruiter and asking the same question and just say, hey, I'm not sure if that's right. They said this. Does that sound right to you? And they say, oh, yeah, that's right. And it's like, okay, then that's it. Right. Um, But I think they have a a plethora of resources available to actually, number one, find out the information. I think the medical is probably the biggest thing that people have questions on um, only because it is a little bit gray and 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 maps are they're, I guess what they're run by Metcon, which is an army organization. So it's a little bit different. It's
1: not even uh, us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: so there's, so it's a, it is, um, it, that is a little bit more of a gray mystery area and we're kind of at the, the mercy of our, uh, the decision of the, you said the chief medical officer. Um, so it, unfortunately it is what it is on that part. Um, so right. I, I don't know what are your thoughts on that?
1: So I, I would just say, um, Keep an open mind, you know some people they want they want you know they woke up one morning, they said "I'm gonna do it, you know they got motivated, and they want excuse me, they want stuff to happen like right now, like put me in, do my appointment, get me the maps, get me a job like right now and and not understanding you know the process or the t- the time frames of what they should expect. Now, then you actually get real cases where, you know, they're not getting any traction from their recruiter um for whatever the case may be. I don't I don't yeah. even know what to say about that. But, you know, I see it in my in my comments a lot. You know, I reach out to the recruiter five, six times, haven't gotten any traction. In those cases, you might want to up it, you know, up the up the chain of command, um, get try to get in touch with the flight chief or something. But in the cases where you're just not they're not moving as fast as you want to move. Just be a little bit more patient, be a little bit more open-minded yeah. and knowing like, this is a one man show. They have a lot of people trying to join and they got to, they got to dedicate their time evenly to everyone. Um And as much as they want to get you in the air force, there's somebody else that they have to get in as well. So yep. just be a little bit more patient with, with that.
0: Yeah. So I had a, uh, a mentor of mine, Colonel Matthews. He's actually, I, I interviewed just a little bit, of, uh, a couple episodes ago. Um, he was my uh, commander at uh, Africom, and I worked as a civilian. And I I can get extremely impatient when I'm trying to get things uh, worked through, right? But the, we have to remember that the federal that the DoD as a whole and the Air Force is part of the federal government, right? Which is a giant machine. There's there's bureaucracy right. in place. There's systems and processes and check marks we have to get in order to get things done. That's just the way it is. Um, and and I think that. And he said, Josh, you just need to show a little bit more tactical patience. <laughs> it's like, yes. it's like just let it play out. Let it play out. The process is there for a reason. It'll eventually get there. Just breathe through it and work on something else. Right. Um, and I think that's probably some advice that we could give to, to people that are going is to show a little bit of tactical patience. Um, things will play out. Uh, you'll get through if you're eligible and, and, um, and you qualified. Uh, you will get there. Right. You just got to see it
1: through. Right. I I teach my students, they're recruiters. I teach them flexibility is probably one of the biggest keys to being a recruiter um, because things change. Like you may have a whole day scheduled, This is your plan. And then something comes up, throws the entire schedule off. And if you're not a flexible person, you're going to be mad. And then you start carrying that energy into your appointments. And it's just a snowball effect and things just start going um, down from there. So, even for the applicants, I would say the flexibility is going to be key in your process, um, because if you're not, you could be pissed off at your recruiter, and the next thing you know, things just go bad. so' bad. Just maintain some <laughs> flexibility uh, some tactical patience and, uh, and you'll see the process through
0: yeah, absolutely, okay, so um, they're in depth, they get a text message or a phone call from the recruiter saying, "We've got a job for you. What does the notification process look like, and then what is the actual timeline from you get notified to you're heading off to maps for shipment and what does that look like
1: it could be um through text message i would say that text message text message is probably one of the biggest um ways of communication nowadays especially um when i recruited um the kids would respond to a text i could call them they wouldn't pick up i text them 10 seconds later i get a response so <laughs> most likely you're going to get a a job notification through text saying hey we got you a job and then uh, you would have to come in and sign your contracts, either do a four or a six year contract. Um, as far as leaving to basic training, that job, um, it could be next month. It could be four to five months from now, just depending on oh, wow. the seat that they, they have available. Um, now, they do have opportunities for someone to what we call quick ship. And I think right now it comes with a $8,000 bonus. Okay, um, I could be wrong. It could be 6000 Basically, they pay you more money for taking a quick ship opportunity and something like that. You kind of lose the um you kind of lose the control over what job you get, because uh, a quick ship job is normally an a job that someone lost. Somebody may, somebody may have gotten in trouble. Somebody may have gotten hurt. Um, somebody have somebody may have lost disinterest and no longer mm-hmm. wants to join anymore. So now that job becomes available and they need to fill it and they need somebody to take it, take it fast. Um, so that will be where a quick ship opportunity comes. So a recruiter would normally call you and say, hey, this job just came available. It's leaving next week. Do you want it? Um, it also comes with the $8,000 bonus. So that will be on the on the applicant to make a, a quick decision. You know, okay. do, do I take it? Do I go now? Or do I just wait for the normal job process in and, and ship during those times?
0: Okay. And, and the day of shipping, what does that look like?
1: So basically, you know, you want to have your bag. You're going to sit down with the recruiter one more time. Make sure nothing has changed um, since you originally depped in. And then um, they're either going to drive you themselves to MEPS. You're going to take a shuttle to MEPS or you can go with your family to MEPS um, and. You're going to basically go back and do an inspection with the with the um, Air Force liaison. Just make sure everything is good to go. Make sure all your paperwork is good to go. And then depending on how close you are to San Antonio, you either fly or you may bus to um, San Antonio to go to basic training. So ship day is actually not not bad. It's pretty, pretty easy. Um, But, you know, the nerves are running. The nerves no, are I high. Doubt. It's like this is happening. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but as far as the process, it's not, it's not that um, not that harsh.
0: Okay. So one last question. Um, and that's what if someone is getting cold feet or life's situation changes a little bit and they decide that the Air Force isn't for them. Um, mm-hmm. what can they pretty much just break the news to the recruiter um, at any point in that? Uh, or, or are they locked in
1: at any certain point so in the if you did active duty right and you're in a delayed entry program you actually can I'm not gonna lie you actually can tell the recruiter look I got cold feet I don't want to do this yeah. anymore and you're in, they can't force you to go to basic training um the Air Force Reserve and the Air National Guard. Um, once you come back from MEPS and you take that job, you're actually sworn in. You're actually a member of the reserve. You're actually a member of the Air National Guard. So it's a little bit trickier, um, for them, but for active duty, um, definitely you can. Um, and it happened a lot. Uh, I got a lot of applicants who would get the cold feet. So it's a normal thing. That's the first thing people need to know is it's, it's normal for you to get cold feet. Um, but. Um, getting people back on track, um, I, I, I had a high success rate with that. So if they had code feet, I was able to get them back on track, and I was able to do it in a in a genuine and honest way. Um, every time somebody came into my office, the original first time I met them, I always asked them, you know, why are you joining? Beyond yeah. the job, like like we were talking about, don't join for a job. Why are you joining? And um and I would want to have that conversation with them to to figure out you know what's going on with their life and how i'm going to be able to help um so once i found out how i was going to be able to impact their life and make it better um i explained that to them. like this is how the air force is going to help you this is this is why i think you should join for the air force to be able to help correct that situation that you're going through so now when they're getting cold feet i sometimes i have to remind them like yo like you just, you know, when you came in, you were, um, one bill away from being homeless. Like what, what's going on, you know, like, yeah, and make kind of like rejog their memory. Cause sometimes people, they can let the, uh, the doubt just start clouding up their, 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 their mind. And now the doubt outweighs the original reason why they were yeah. joining anyway, um, so it's just clearing that doubt, getting that fog out of their head, trying to, trying to make them remember, um, why they were joining. No, that's So crazy. it happens. It definitely happens. Um, and, and like I say, for those people who were feeling like that, just try to go back to why you were originally joined.
0: Yeah. 110%, man. Remember your why, uh, why you decided right. to do it in the first place. That's really good advice. Really good advice. Okay. So that's the recruitment process. Um, is there anything that you think that, that we might've missed, um, any misconceptions or or anything else? I think we talked about a lot though.
1: Um, man, recruiting is, is bad right now. Um, just overall. Um, so, you know, I just, I just want people to know, like, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot that's there's, there's attributing to the, to the bad recruiting times, but it's kind of like, it sounds messed up, but it's kind of like, we need this new generation. Um, we need these, this young generation to come in and, and fix whatever problems they have with the military. Yeah. Um, Because there's a lot of old people making decisions um, and we need those, those young people to help us see, blood. you know, say it again.
0: And we need that fresh blood, their influence.
1: Yeah. We need help us like help yeah. us make it the way you want it to be. Help us see it the way you want it to be. Um, cause we're not going to, the older people are not going to be able to do it on their own. They're going to need the, the fresh mind, the fresh blood to, to, to help us make the, the changes that we need to make. So that's just my message, I guess, to the, to the overall public, um, I know whatever, whatever you know you have in mind of why the Air Force recruiting is messed up, whatever that is, we need you to help us fix it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally agree, man. So I I usually don't even refer to like recruits as recruits, or um, I usually refer to them as the next generation airmen. Right? That right? They're the ones that are that are taking the baton from from the airmen that are in now. That that they're the yep. ones that are going to be the future master sergeants, right? Like yourself and and uh, chief master sergeants of the Air Force. Um, that right. they're the ones that are going to be in those positions of influence to make those stuff that those um those changes that are needed, right? That the Air Force and the federal government as a whole is a, is like I said is a giant machine, which the giant machine right. it's it's difficult to change, um, which which it's like culture, right? It just takes a lot of time and influence um, and consistency to, to make those long-term changes. And we absolutely need people in the next generation to, to come over and take the baton and to, and to lead from the front. Um, the the right. Air Force of today is not going to look like the Air Force of 10 years from now or 20 years from now, um, which is the way it's supposed to be, right? We're supposed to be flexible in, in the way that we do business. Um, we're the greatest Air Force in the world. Uh, even though I'm a veteran, uh, I'm outside. I'm on this side of the of the wire, so to speak. Um, I, I still have a lot of pride of, of the people that are serving now, um, of the the young people and the next generation airmen that are that are enlisting now. Um, that they're the ones that are going to be molding and shaping the Air Force. So, so yeah, I agree with you.
1: Yep. I, and and it's crazy because when I first joined, you, you know, I never when I joined, I never thought I would have an impact or uh, the space that I have now to impact the next generation. So it it's crazy like when you're when you're when you're 17 18 years old, you're not thinking about, you know, it, it's my responsibility. We're going to yeah. be the ones taking the baton. You're not thinking like that. Exactly. Um, but it's going to happen and um and we need them.
0: And it is. And and it's through content like yours that's that's helping them and if you imagine um and I do this with uh, Forever Wingman on the website with uh, the number of page views or the number of visitors that come on there you have 10 million views like that's that's 10 million eyes of people that are listening to your voice right um which is is just mind-boggling if you even think about it um of the amount of influence that you have um and the young people that are coming in uh enlisting in the air force the influence that they'll have um because they'll social media is there man it's there to stay and, uh, and right. they can broadcast their message, uh, just like you're doing now. Um, so I'll uh, make a segue into the last question I try to ask guests. And that is, if your cousin, your um, your uh, son, daughter, uh, nephew, some stranger off the street uh, came to you said that they're thinking about enlisting in the Air Force, what words of advice would you give them on how to be actually successful once they're in the Air Force?
1: So. I know you probably heard it. Um when you when you join, uh try to make yourself as quiet as possible. Make yourself like a, a ninja to where nobody can see you. you, stay out of everybody's eyes. Um that way you can have a smooth, smooth ride. Um and I would recommend the opposite. I would recommend um go in and do everything you can to try to make change. And and make yourself present and heard, um, because everyone has like a, a voice. Everyone has um, something that they can share, and a lot of the times they hide it, or they don't they don't want to share it. Um, they feel like they may be outspoken or overtalked by somebody else. But and then the ones who are the most, um, I guess, audacious. Uh, those are the con- those are the ones we constantly keep hearing, um, with their with their bodacious ideas. Um, where some of these people who are a little bit more reserved, more passive, we're missing out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, just be the opposite of of quiet and and passive. Like get yeah. your voice heard, um, share your ideas, because uh, we need them and we need to change.
0: Great advice, Jody. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing the entire recruitment process. I know we covered a lot of information. Um, and thank you again for your content We're on uh, Jody with a Y uh, on the YouTube channel, nearing 37, 38,000 subscribers, which is awesome. So uh, all the listeners that may be listening to this, go check him out. He's got a ton of great content. Um, and be sure to, what do you say? Like, comment, subscribe. I think you even said in one of your videos, that people <laughs> are calling you out for not saying that. <laughs> so I'll say it here yeah. for you. Like, comment, subscribe, click the bell.
1: <laughs> I appreciate you.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Jody. Take care.